Hey, I'm glad you're here. When it comes to the divine dance or inner work, sometimes the feedback that I get from men is, I don't know how, we're not taught, please stop telling us what to do and show us what you mean. For that reason, I've been longing to do a different kind of episode in addition to the interview style episodes and the occasional teaching episode I do, which I'd like to do more of. I wanted to give you the opportunity to see what I mean when I talk about go deeper, get grounded. And I thought a great way to do that would be by example. And so I reached out to some of the men that I trust that I know do good work with men and lead men's groups. And I told them what I was hoping to do and asked them if they knew of anybody who might be a good candidate. And so one of those men referred Graham to me. And Graham was excited about the possibility of talking about his stuff and hopeful that it would help you understand what some of these concepts mean. Graham is not a client of mine. He has done a lot of his own work in therapy, and he is currently also supported by his mentor and a men's group as well. In this episode, I think you'll see what I mean by going within, getting grounded, getting centered in self, what I mean by learning to be a great parent to yourself, and also what it means to learn to love yourself. We discuss different parts like the inner child and the inner critic. And one note is if you're familiar with models such as internal family systems therapy, you know that we talk about these internal parts and we have the childlike parts and the manager parts. In this episode, we refer to those manager parts as inner critics. I definitely think a critic falls under the umbrella of a manager part. And I just wanted to clarify that for you in case it was confusing. Since this is something new, something I'm trying and experiment, I would really love to have your feedback. If something we talked about uh, was especially meaningful to you, if you have a question about something that we talked about, please send me an email at Angela at Angela or you can go to Instagram at Mission Manhood and leave me a message there. If you or someone you know would be interested in a similar type of conversation, please stay tuned after my conversation with Graham and I'll tell you about how to make that happen. Hi, Graham. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited. This is something a little different. We thought it might be great to have a conversation where we're sharing stories, witnessing, demonstrating that dance that I talk about so often. And this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I, I really appreciate you agreeing to do it. It's my pleasure. It's a space I'm very interested in. Uh, I, I found you through one of my mentors, actually, in a men's group. And something that I've pursued mentorship on is that interaction with the with the feminine so uh, that mentor sent me over your way and so here we are very excited to be here to give people an idea of what your background is and where where you've come from and maybe where you are now can you let us know what your story is so the Coles notes for my story uh, <laughs> is uh, 
I lost my, the biggest influence probably in my life is I lost my, my own mother uh, when I was nine years old to breast cancer. And then my father remarried in a very short time, a woman who he probably wouldn't have been with in normal situation. And this woman ended up being very toxic for me and my two other brothers. They ended up having a daughter, so I have a, a half-sister as well. And we all sort of grew up in a very uncomfortable household. And so my relationship to the feminine and to just a healthy relationship has been very muddied in the, in the past. And uh, I struggled a lot with uh, depression and suicidal thoughts in my teen years and into my first year of university. I ended up dropping out before I really got on the healing path when I eventually sort of met women that were positive role models. And slowly but surely, I started to look at myself and look at my past and realize that there was something to be done about it. And so got to work and now I'm here. What is your home life currently like? Uh, so I have a newborn, uh, an 11-month-old and two days. Uh, <laughs> so he's almost a year. And I have a, a wonderful fiancé. Now, the interesting thing about us is we both came from these difficult households. Her situation is uh, alcohol use in the house. And so neither one of us has been modeled good parenting with healthy conflict resolution and healthy repair. So we're both in a place where we want to learn these skills, mm -hmm. find it a challenge, uh, having never been modeled them. Yeah, a lot of the, the work that I focus on is sort of the pre-stuff and helping men and people to see that, you know, we need to look at the foundation and assess where the cracks are and go back and allow ourselves to see some of those things. And just in your brief story, there's definitely a lot there that could impact the way that you're currently functioning in your life. Thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah. I definitely feel it's something actually that holds me back at times communicating because I get sort of lost, not knowing if I'm projecting some of my own, whether they're traumas or just biases. I find it, it, it handicaps me in conversations, in particular with women and with my fiance. Yeah. So what I would like to invite you to do, I can feel it when I'm in my head and in my mind. And it's almost like there's electricity going there. And sometimes it's so intense that my eyeballs kind of ache a little bit. And I wonder if you might could just take a breath and see if you can bring your conscious awareness down more in your heart and sort of just relax into that for a minute. Breathe into it and let your shoulders relax. Just kind of consult with your own heart and what is what feels important in this moment, in this time to, to focus on or to talk about? I can tell you what, uh, what feels important is playing tag with my son. That's been a new joy in my life. He's just sort of started crawling around and running away and giggling and cackling his head off. So that is kind of something that's filling my heart up at the moment. Definitely that feels very important. I think modeling fatherhood to him is very important to me being a kind of father that will help him grow but without stifling him and without putting any of my own 
burdens onto him. Mm-hmm. I see in some people how they can they transmit maybe anxiety or other things. You see it even into pets, it'll happen. So it's something I worry mm-hmm. about with my son if I will infect him with my depression, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you're you're thinking, or is that that it? That that concern about how you're going to affect your son? Uh, there's some about uh, my relationship to motherhood. I wonder, I worry about having my wife fill the hole that the loss of my own mother left Mm -hmm. and whether or not that's appropriate or healthy for uh, our relationship as if she's, if she's having to fill that hole. Yeah. Have you gotten any feedback from her on that? It's something we've talked about. I can't recall if we came to any specific consensus on what that feedback is. Like, it feels like inappropriate to want your wife to be your mother. Mm-hmm. But it does make sense to me that I would be trying to put something in that hole subconsciously. Do you feel it would be inappropriate for a wife to look? to her husband or partner as as a father figure and to be kind of strong in that way? Hmm. I guess as a father figure to, yeah, I guess I I don't see that as being inappropriate. Mm -hmm. I think as long as it's uh, rooted in a partnership as opposed to sort of a, because a father is sort of an authority figure. Same as sort of a mother is as well in a family. So I think that that father and mother energy can be very good for each other. Yeah. Just being able to count on another person to offer you their presence. Yeah, the the that the parent the parental love is very you're just sure of it. Yeah. The other day I made a post and the first slide was this king and he had his sword in the ground and one arm was around his woman and she's cuddled up in there and it was such a comforting image of this strong king-like figure and the next slide is Mary of the Bible holding Jesus after they took him down off of the cross and so he's bruised and battered and just laid out and she's got her arms around him And my point of the post was, in this life, we're both. We're life and death and strong and weak. And in a partnership, when you're weak, perhaps your partner can be strong and help you get back to the point where you can be strong as well. That is probably when partnerships are the most impactful, most beneficial to both parties. I mean, it just just makes sense. Yeah, that's why I wanted to push back a little bit when you said it felt inappropriate. And I think in our modern men's movement, there's such a push for men to be strong and brave and all the things. And I get that masculinity has taken a lot of hits, but we can't throw out what is also true. And that is that you need to be nurtured and cared for. And I think you do that for yourself. You learn to do that for yourself. 
you receive that in partnership and you receive that from other people in the world. Even with, say, your mentor that you mentioned earlier, that's kind of a dance in itself. When you're down, perhaps he's encouraging you in a different way. Sometimes when he feels like maybe you need to be pushed a little bit, maybe he's more of a father, father figure in those times or an older brother. I think we're all shifting energy and we're responding to what the person in front of us is needing or requiring in that moment. Yeah, that was a really uh, a good sort of mirror that you just held up to me when you asked me if I thought it was inappropriate to be as a father figure. Yeah, I think that men, when they can meet those needs, especially of like they're a woman in relationship, it's a certain sort of satisfaction and maybe pride. I don't know how that, how that feels, but you know, when you, she's just so relieved at your presence, you showed up and, you know, she just doesn't have to bear it all anymore. Just speaking for the feminine, you know, every woman is different. I mean, for me, it is such an honor to bear, bear that. This past weekend, my son was something happened and it just, the dam broke and all the stress of the last five years just came flooding out. So it was just like this word vomit. And I'm just sitting there trying to be as still as I can and just receiving it and receiving it and receiving it. And at the end of it, he went on his way, went to find a brother that could help him get strong again. But just to be able to bear that, I mean, I had to get in a bath, take a hot bath, you know, and just process it, let it go. But that to me is that woman who's holding the wounded warrior. I'm going to offer you the things that you need for your wounds. I'm going to clean your wounds. I'm going to, I don't want you to stay there. And I think that's what men fear is that I'll be perceived as weak and I might get too comfortable here. And I don't think that's what it's about. It's just an honor to be able to help. And then you get up and go get what you need from other people as well. So later he comes back and he's like, you know what? I talked it over with my friend and we're going to do this. And we're gonna... they had done the logical thing at that point. So he got the emotions out and then he went and found a brother who helped him figure out the rest of it. So that's where that nurturer comes in. It's an honor for women. Mm. I, I've de- I definitely can, uh, can see that. You're making me wonder if there's a part of me that's guarded against that kind of nurturing because of a hurt related to losing my mother. I know for a long time, I didn't like when women used my name in an affectionate way, that you're making me think about this resistance I have to to allowing my fiance to mother me and how it might be a more of a defense against wanting someone else to fill that or some sort of guardedness around that space. Yeah. In this dance or this energy flow, I think it's important to realize that it's not dualistic. It's not yes or no or right or wrong. So I think in a loving partnership, we can we can receive those gifts from each other. But if you get in this where that's all she is to you, if she's filling that need, then she ceases, the energy gets off and she ceases to become your lover, your partner. And then she is in that mother energy 
too much, you know? Yeah. This is where it's really important for people to understand that I talk a lot about you need to learn to love yourself. And what I mean by that is you, Graham, from self, from your center, you're the one that has to go back and redeem the eight-year-old, the nine-year-old, the 10-year-old. Those parts of you have to feel safe with you. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it definitely makes it makes sense. And it's something that I've worked on. I, I've definitely been in a place of just self-loathing, just un and it's it's the last thing that I'm currently sort of working on is just forgiving myself for having hated myself. It's such a funny thing. Currently any lack of self-love comes from this guilt I have about having hated myself. It's like a weird catch twenty-two. It just in in this state of mind, it just feels silly to have had so much disdain for myself. It almost So when you talk about the disdain you had for yourself, at what point in your life was that? That I guess my life could be summed up into like three episodes. There was mm-hmm. um sort of my teen years. I where I kept a journal and I have entries about wanting to kill myself from as early as 13 years old which just breaks my heart when I th- when I think about a little 13-year-old wanting to kill themselves and then I had another really bad episode in my early 20s when I went away to school and that's when my dad's relationship with his second wife really sort of got really bad and they eventually split and then just this past year during covid time i went through a lot with my dad getting pancreatic cancer and eventually dying Mm. i took on the role of his executor and there was legal trouble between his ex-wife and his estate and at the same time my fiance was pregnant and we had a baby and i started a business so that Last year was just horrible, and I got knocked right back down into my deepest point of despair. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you were almost forced back into some of those relationships or exposed to some of the the people, the trauma, the chaos, and all of that from the past. I mean, it makes sense that you could relapse or have a of a setback emotionally even though you've done a lot of work i mean that's a lot to hit you at one time yeah it was very uh it was very profound it was actually even just i struggled with bedwetting until i basically got out of my parental home mm-hmm. and then when my stepmother came back into our lives just sort of poking around about the estate and trying to interfere with my dad's treatment. I actually relapsed as like a 30 year old wow. and went to bed. It was so, it just made me like fall on my knees and like hold my hands in the air and say, Oh my goodness. Like there's so much more going on here than I can comprehend. Gosh. Yeah. I'm so glad you shared that because I think people feel so much shame when these things come up 
And that's just such a perfect example of how your body just takes over. A lot of times you don't, it's not anything you did or didn't do, but relapsing into that state, like you said, she's picking around and you're feeling her presence again. And it just brought that back. Yeah, it was, it was so, I was just in awe of that. And especially now looking back that I'm in a much better place mentally, just looking at all those feelings with that same sort of context that they're triggers and learned behavior. It's actually, it's quite, it's quite a relief now. What does that mean to you? It's, it's a relief. Just. It feels like uh, if you can understand why something happens, then you can remove yourself from the cause. I'm definitely someone that's blamed themselves for things that are outside of my control in this instance. So, yeah. uh, So it's nice. It's good to sort of when I find causation and things, (laughs) I can almost justify things being outside of my control when rationally they, of course, are. Yeah, it just helps me. No, I think that's that's a good point. Do do you find that, you know, you you said you've gone through several different lives and you feel bad for being mean to yourself in the past? Do you kind of understand that dynamic? It's kind of it, the the irony of it, the irony of it really sort of boggles my mind where I want to love myself but i'm not ready to forgive myself for having hated myself yeah so i don't fully understand that yet and i don't think i've learned to sort of bask in self-love as of yet mm-hmm. although being out of self-loathing is a really nice start yeah the part of you that was was mean or that you have a hard time dealing with how do you feel about that part now i guess i wonder why is it was there what what did it what did it serve me how did it serve me i can see how anger can serve a person or but i guess it's just like run uh, the runaway train of self criticism mhm the reason I I want to spend just a second here is because the inner critic is like a universal. Everybody that I work with has some form of inner child and some inner critic that they're dealing with. They might have 10 inner critics, but everybody understands that concept. And so what happens is you have a child. They don't understand logically what's going on outside of them as a child. You didn't know that your stepmother was whatever, however you would describe her now as an adult. You didn't know that as a child. And so it's natural to have a part of us, a part of our psyche form to protect the inner child. And a lot of times that inner critic will take on similar characteristics and the voice of the person on the outside of us who is the critic or the abuser or whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely definitely makes sense. It just seems to me as like a 
that inner critic was was overdoing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The challenge is when you're doing your own work, when you're operating from your true self, allowing yourself to observe all of those parts and even to like you said, you're in the process of this right now. You're trying to learn to forgive this part for causing you so much grief and uh, making your life more difficult in a way, and just starting to see it as a coping mechanism in survival. That part was doing its best to to keep you alive, to keep you going, and for whatever reason, it makes sense to our mind to come up with, you know, you're trying to be meaner than the person on the outside. Um, A common one is if I can get that little part of me to shut up, just shut up. And so that's a, a thing that the inner critic says, because you want the child to shut up before the mean adult on the outside hears the child crying. So the inner, that part that was formed to protect it's trying to bow up and act like that mean person on the outside to protect you. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. That really shines a light. Because if you can nip it in the butt, I guess that's what the inner critic's trying to do. Yeah, trying to get 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 everybody quiet. Shh. Don't don't make them mad. Don't upset them. I'm now just sort of thinking through. Uh, the inner critic and sort of their language and just like the the missed uh, intention of it all. Yeah. Over time, one of the beautiful things that people do in their own heart is they have this reconciliation where you're not only trying to rescue or reconcile those little parts, those younger, vulnerable Parts Those make sense and it's obvious, but also those inner critics. It's something like gratitude drops in in this compassion when you realize that part was just working itself to death to try to save you in a way. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, that's a very powerful thought that that inner critic deserves some gratitude because of how hard they work, even though they maybe misplaced the work. Yeah. And the, the beautiful thing about doing this inner work is that you don't have to be tossed about by your mind and emotions. And you can, you know, when you feel these parts get activated, because they will, when you're exposed to your stepmother, those little parts are going to get activated. I mean, that was some big deal stuff that that you went through. But learning to drop down and even saying to your inner critic, I don't need for you to do that for me right now. I got this. And then you can go and minister to those little parts and just pull them into yourself, just like you would your son if he hurt himself. And so the system, your whole system starts to trust you instead of you just kind of being tossed about by these things that are formed in your psyche for protection and survival. Mm. That sort of brings me back to my original 
heart feeling about my fears relating to raising my son well and uh, knowing when to set those boundaries and when to stand up for him. And Yeah. And I, I think that's a beautiful circle because, you know, you started with that and then, you know, we're talking about how you have to learn to do that work for yourself. And in doing that work for yourself, two things, your two concerns are addressed. One is with your wife, partner, you can choose to expose that to her. So when you're feeling like, wow, one of my little parts is really activated, I could really use a hug right now. You can go to her and say, hey, I'm feeling so much emotion around, you know, those little parts. I wondered if we could just hold each other for a moment. So it's like you're in total control. You're you're seeing what you need internally and you're asking for what you need from your partner. And that gets back to that. It's such an honor to hold that space and provide provide that kind of loving, nurturing care for your partner. Yeah, that's a wonderful goal. I I know that it'll be work for me even to know when I have these needs. I mean, myself five or 10 years ago thought he didn't have these needs just because he couldn't articulate them. He couldn't Mm-hmm. differentiate an emotional need from a physical need just because yeah. of the walls that I had built up to shut everything out. So, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense why you had to do that based on, you know, from what, probably nine to 18 or whenever you left your house, you've had to form some pretty strong structures to, to try to survive mentally and you you had to push that out so that you could do what you needed to do but coming back online and learning to feel and that's not just in your home that's how we kind of treat men and society anyway to be strong to not feel so i get i get that it would take a while to get to that place but the last thing in that little circle too is by doing this work, by allowing yourself time to practice and check in with those parts or just learn to observe them, you'll feel when they get activated and you, you'll you start to recognize, you know, like maybe when I'm afraid, I feel it in my stomach or when I'm anxious, I feel it in my chest. You can start to learn that and you can learn to talk yourself down or take a few minutes. Effectively, what you're doing is you're learning to be a good father and a good mother to yourself. So in those moments where you discern by just observing that the need is one of these little parts just got out of sorts. Maybe, you know, your boss was mean to you today and it just clenched up and now you're feeling all the feelings. At the end of the day, you know, maybe just getting a beer and just breathing that out and letting that part know that, yeah, that was scary, but it's not the same thing. This is not that. And I can handle this as an adult. I know what to do. And so you just feel that tension leaving your body. You just spend some time with it. You're being a good you know, father to yourself. Other times it might be that, what would make you feel better? Do you need some ice cream? Okay, let's go <laughs> get some ice cream. Doing that for yourself, loving yourself, that would be more of a maternal nurturing, just being sweet, doing something sweet for that little scared part. 
And so what you're doing is you're practicing and you're becoming. So you're becoming a good father and mother to yourself. And naturally that's going to flow out toward your son and your, your partner. Mm, that's wonderful. Hmm. I can definitely feel mostly in my brow, a lot of, I think it's emotion, <laughs> especially when I think about parenting myself and holding that inner child and saying something along the lines of, I see you now, we don't need this part right now, or that kind of stuff, or just being there for that inner child. Mm-hmm. I really can feel that in my brow. Yeah. Not sure what it is. It almost feels like sadness as well as. That's one of those clues, you know, always saying just our body can, can tell us so much. Yeah, maybe it is just sadness. I'm reminded of a time I did a, a breath work exercise and they challenged you to jump into a given emotion, happiness, sadness, mm-hmm. sexiness, anger. And I noticed in myself, like, I could get into anger in an instant, but I was unable to access sexiness, for example. Mm-hmm. And happiness felt uncomfortable, felt like I was faking. If you think about the lack of safety in a in a group like that, all these parts of you are probably a little bit activated. They're alert. And... uh just reading the room and what would it be for me to feel those feelings in a group? I'm curious about your, your brow now. You feel, yeah. It seems a little bit, I can see you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a furrowed brow. Yeah. I'm actually trying to relax it. It's really quite intense at the moment. It's something it's, noticed in myself before, although this is mm-hmm. the, this is in particular an intense feeling. Do this just to see. It might not yield anything, but if you could just close your eyes for a minute and get out of your mind, just kind of breathe into that area of your body and see if there's a message or maybe this part of you wants to tell you something or has a message or maybe is displeased that we're even talking about this. (laughs) See if you can sense what the feeling behind that is really quite a a pretty intense pressure that I'm feeling in my brow. Maybe like a holding back of something. It feels almost like a dam filling mm-hmm. up. Pressure. Yeah, just pressure. Hmm. With my eyes closed, it, it feels like it's glowing red. Hmm. Does it feel hot or angry no it doesn't feel like anger or it doesn't feel hot it just feels swollen i think it's sadness (laughs) i'm laughing because it feels so silly not to know what what i'm feeling it's going to take a while for you to get comfortable with this because you've blocked it off for a really long time And that breath you just took, that deep cleansing breath to 
like establish yourself as self, just lovingly observing that, whatever that is that's trying to give you some sort of message. It's like, I see you. I'm here. Mm, the intensity has faded a bit. The color has changed to like a yellow. Huh. That's very interesting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I've never experienced anything like this. Does it feel okay to kind of move on or do you? Do you yeah, still feel... for sure. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Nothing painful or unpleasant. It's just, uh, it's a very noticeable feeling very yeah. very curious yeah when i first started doing this work of just like really trying to observe something like that would pop up it it would feel distant i just kind of took that to mean it's a deeper thing it's not really ready to express or expose itself and so that's why i always just say hey i'm here i'll be back you know, so like if I meditate each day, I got to go to work now, but I'll be back. No, no rush. And so over time, like that red to yellow to maybe one day you'll get a memory pop up and you'll go, oh, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. You know, Oh, that's that'd be really cool. And to me, when that has happened before, it's like you get it in a minute. You're like, oh, of course. And sometimes I just weep. I just weep mm. for that little part, you know, and it's just like, thank you for showing me that. Thank you for, for letting me see that. It hasn't been safe for all these years, but when I start to be willing to see it and observe it, then I can start to reconcile those memories and things that have happened. It does sort of feel like a, a desire to weep, but it's like the signals are crossed and it's trying to come out of my forehead instead of my eyes. Yeah. You kind of become a, a great detective in this work and just establishing that pace, being calm, centered, compassionate, and caring for yourself. Those are all really good attributes of that, that centered self. And so sometimes if you feel yourself becoming agitated, you can take that deep cleansing breath and you always get to control the volume. You know, if it feels very intense, you might say, hey, I don't really have the bandwidth for this today. I can come back tomorrow and try again. One thing I just wanted to say about the the part that you have trouble, you know, forgiving, you don't understand why it maybe did what it did, is as this process goes on and as you're getting to know these little parts, figuring out what that part would be good for like repurposing like that intense part who's got your back, who wants to protect you. And a lot of times, you know, I have to defend myself and I have to protect myself. And I'm very grateful for those parts too. I love my little child parts, but I, I set some good boundaries with the critics, but I'm really glad that I have them because I feel like when I start to, to slack off those parts are the parts of me that go, uh, this is not good. You can't sleep in every day or you can't get off your diet every day. So it's just changing the way 
I talk to myself. I don't allow myself to talk to myself in a mean or cruel or ugly way. I'm I'm willing to hear the feedback, but it has to be just like I would never speak to you in a certain way. I don't allow myself to speak to myself that way anymore. Oh, that's a really nice uh, repurposing of the inner critic. I definitely can see value in critical thoughts. I mean, we wouldn't be able to improve anything if we couldn't criticize what we have. So I'm interested in thinking about the way the inner critic has spoken to me in the past. It's not that it tells me to hurt myself or to kill myself. It's more another part of me that hears the inner critic that says, I'll show you and I'm going to slip my wrist or I'm going to smash my head on the wall or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. the inner critic. Isn't the one sort of preaching self-harm. It's some other part that maybe I haven't identified yet. Yeah. Probably a part just had enough. Yeah. And if you think about what you're describing too, I mean, like I have a really distinct child part that I work with, a really distinct critic or parental part and the angry adolescent. And (laughs) that angry adolescent part to me is the one that's like, F you, you know, (laughs) it is, it will be interesting to you as you do this work to discover, oh, that's not the same as this. This is different. This is a different part. And repeating that process of observing, loving, what what is it important for me to know from you? How have you suffered? You know, questions like that. It's just observing. And thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's exciting and terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'll say to you and anyone listening, in order to really get into this work, there's books on internal family systems. There are therapists that specialize in this work. And also just to remember that you take it at your own pace. And if you establish a five or 10 minute meditative practice in the morning or in the evening, or as that need arises, you know, you don't have to sit there and be bombarded. You can just do what you have the bandwidth for for that day. And sometimes it's just a matter of, I can get centered today. I can get out of my head and get into my heart and get centered. And I can tell these parts, I don't have time to do this today. I've got to record a podcast. Then I've got to cook dinner. And then I have a PTA meeting. I don't have time to do this today. I bring the the locus of control back to me. I am a good mother and a good father. And I can, you know, ask those parts just to back, back off, give me some space, turn the volume down. So that's another step in just not allowing yourself to be tossed around by those emotions. And eventually, you know, it starts to just operate as one good system. It's not like this is forever. The rest of your life, you're going to have, you know, this whole circus going on in your mind at all the time. It's not like that. Yeah, I imagine it's sort of like learning to walk and that it consumes all of your mind when you're trying to figure it out. And next thing you know, you're walking and texting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we leave, is there any 
loose end? Is there any, feel like anything we didn't answer or say that you wanted to express? Uh, no, there's nothing that comes to mind as being a loose end. Is I'm After this conversation, I'm left sort of with new paths to go down and new sort of crevices to look into and rocks to turn over. So there's lots and lots to talk about and lots and lots of exploration to happen, but it, there's nothing that comes to mind right now as being unfinished. Okay. Well, I think this is very valuable and I, I can't say it enough how much I appreciate you being willing to just share part of your story and allowing us to glimpse your inner journey as you're, as you're experiencing it. I think that's super powerful for people and it will help them on their own journey toward growth and reconciling their parts and learning to parent themselves. That would be awesome if uh, anyone can take uh, any value from knowing that there's other people out there struggling with these things and finding ways to get on top of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point about your son, I mean, the things that you're doing now, just allowing yourself to be conscious, you and your partner having this vision and setting this intention to be good parents to evolve past where you came from. That is super powerful for your child. And uh, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. I think we're doing a great job too. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Graham. I hope you have a good evening and thanks for spending part of it with me. You're welcome. And thank you for uh, giving me some of your precious time as well. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining and listening to this episode. I really appreciate your support. If you or someone that you know would be interested in a similar type of conversation, on Instagram, you can find me at Mission Manhood. And there's a Calendly link in my bio where you can sign up for a free consult. The one requirement that I would have, because this is not a therapy session, and I would want to make sure that the person having the conversation is safe and cared for, I only will accept people who are currently in therapy or have had a history of therapy. And also, they would be required to be currently in a brotherhood or a group that is supportive of them when we're stirring up these kind of emotions or talking about things that are deeper, I would definitely want you to have someone to process that with and follow up with just for your emotional safety. Alternately, if you're not interested in a podcast interview, but this type of consultation or conversation about the things that I teach as applied to the work that you've been doing, if you think that would be helpful, I do have a limited number of spots available. Those are 50-minute sessions, and you can use the Calendly link at Mission Manhood on Instagram to schedule that. A third option is if you do reside in the state of Texas, I also have some spots available for therapy clients. So if you're interested in becoming 
a therapy client, we can also discuss that as well. Thank you so much for your support. If you don't have Instagram, you can contact me through email. And my email address is Angela at AngelaAbide.com. That's A-B as in boy, I-D as in David, E, AngelaAbide.com.